We are in the book of Matthew, and we are coming close here. We're getting, we're moving forward. <laughs> what? It's hard to keep up. You know what, Dan? You're, you know what, Dan has been, last week he made that comment, yeah, Dan's getting more outspoken. I have to talk to him. <laughs> Dan's like, I love all this attention right now. <laughs> hey, so we're going to be, we're in Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 17, and we'll be going through 29. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, and uh, we'll keep moving here. So now, on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, same day, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed." It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Hmm. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Wow. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we're, we're coming to the close of the Gospel of Matthew, and, um, you know, I, uh, Lord, we've just covered a lot of territory. It's taken a while, but it's been good. It's been rich, and uh, we're coming to a, a portion that we're f- somewhat familiar with. Uh, but, Lord, in our familiarity, help us not to lose the depth uh, of the meaning of, of not just for what happened then, but for its impact on our life now. So, Lord, I I pray that as we walk through this passage that we would be uh, convicted of what we need to be convicted of. We would be encouraged in areas we need encouragement. And most of all, that we'd be strengthened, that we would be people equipped to know you better and to shine for you more brightly, God. So I pray that that this morning as we walk through your word, that we'd continue this, this devotion, this worship as we look into your living and powerful and active word, and that you'd use it to continue to transform us, to conform our minds, our thinking, renew us in our thinking, so that we become more like Jesus. So Lord, we thank you and pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are uh, again in the middle of the final, or actually we're in the final week, I'm sorry, not in the middle, we're in the final week of Jesus' life, and we are now on the Thursday of the Passion Week, 
Okay, it's called passion because not because it's super passionate in the sense that we think of, oh, he's got a lot of passion for soccer. It's passion because that word originally means suffering. It's this week of suffering. It's the closing of Jesus' life of the Messiah. And the next day, we're on Thursday here, but the next day he'd be hanging on a cross as the sacrificial lamb of God. The Gospels, again, devote the largest percentage of their material to this final week. And now we're coming to the culmination of this week. Wednesday was the day of confrontations. Okay, three chapters, two and a half chapters devoted to that day. Seven, he pronounced seven woes on the Pharisees, the religious leaders, condemning them for their hypocrisy, calling them evil evangelists, damning people to hell with their teaching and their modeling. That's sad. They were the sick shepherds talked about in Ezekiel 34. He pronounced a judgment on the worship in that temple, right? The worship, he's, he called it desolate, and God was pronouncing judgment on that. And then he, he spent, we spent all of chapter 24 and 25, two chapters on what? End times. What is the end going to look like? Okay, so we, we had a lot of talk, the, all of that discourse. That was all on Wednesday. Then we saw in, in last week's passage, uh, verses 1 through 16, we, we, he, Matthew brings up this plot again by the religious leaders. There's the plot in the first portion, and then the last portion of, of last week's passage, we have Judas, the betrayer, the key man to carry about that plot. But right in the middle of it, again, it was on Mother's Day last week, so it's such a great picture. We have this act of righteous worship by Mary, anointing Jesus with that expensive perfume and doing it in front of everybody, even wiping His feet with her hair. What an act of humility and of humble worship, right? Now, what did Jesus say that he would re- she would be remembered because she was doing what? He says that she's preparing me for burial. So it was a preparation. Now we're moving into a passage that prepares, we're actually seeing him going to prepare to eat the Passover meal. And this is where, this is a passage that's pregnant with meaning, full of meaning. And again, because it's so familiar, you know, we, we've done, we do communion once a month and we talk about the meaning of it, but we, we want to make sure we understand this passage. And I'm going to take you backwards. We're going to read most of uh, Exodus chapter 12 because that is the theology of Jesus in his death as the Lamb of God. It is laid out in Exodus 12. Jesus, what he was doing was so intentional and we can't miss it. Again, when did the religious leaders want to kill Jesus? After the Passover, and that was a week later. So that was their plot, but God had a different plot, didn't he? It's, it's proving that God is in charge. Jesus has been in charge of his mission all along, right? And he intentionally was going to die on Passover as the sacrificial lamb of God. That's exactly what Jesus, the, John the Baptist, his forerunner, called him, right? Behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There is no secret to this mission. Jesus said and said several times, I'm going to Jerusalem to die on a cross at the hands of the religious leaders, to die as a ransom for many. He's come to seek and save the lost. So this is just an amazing time. 
He's been symbolically prepared by Mary's anointing. Now the day of preparation for the Passover meal is here. Jesus as the Lamb of God, the great antitype that the Passover lamb looked forward to is here. In Passover, Exodus 12, the lamb was the key figure in that ceremony. But that lamb ultimately didn't mean anything. It was really, hey, there's going to be an ultimate final lamb who will fulfill all of this. That's what Jesus is. It's probably uh, A.D. 30. Some people want to know when that, I think it's A.D. 30. And there's all things you can go around with dates and all that. But it's, it's definitely Thursday. It's Nisan 14. It's the month of Nisan. It was, it, God had changed the calendar, and we'll see that in Exodus 12, where this now is going to be the first month in the Jewish religious calendar because of this Passover. We'll read that in Exodus 12 today. But there's an in, interesting historical anomaly that was present during this time period. Okay, so where were all faithful Jews supposed to go uh, during Passover? They had to go to Jerusalem. They had to celebrate within the city limits, okay? That is why Jesus didn't have the Passover meal back in Bethany. That was outside the city limits. They had to be within the city limits, and it had to be one lamb for ten men. That's how it had to be, okay? that was. And we'll read some of this in, in Exodus 12. But... When you have all these Jews coming there, we find out that if we look at Josephus and some of the historical records, they actually started doing it on Thursday afternoon, some of the killing of the, well, Thursday evening, the killing of the lambs. It's because there was both a Galilean calendar where they went from sunset to sunset. That's how they reckoned the day. How do we reckon the day? When does the next day start? At midnight. Well, they didn't do it. They did it from sunset to sunset in Galilee, northern Israel. But down in Judea, the religious calendar, they reckoned it from sunrise to sunrise. So we had two kind of calendars working. But what happened is because so many millions came to Jerusalem, it actually helped the priests. Because now they could start, in in Cali, you can close your ears at this point. They started slaughtering the lambs on Thursday and the Galileans would celebrate it at that time. And then the next day, they would, they would do more for the, the Judeans. And they would still be able to faithfully worship. Because here's the deal. Jesus had his Passover meal Thursday night with his Galilean disciples. And then was sacrificed as the Passover lamb in Jerusalem on Friday midday. It's a weird overlapping, but that's how he was able both to celebrate as a faithful Jew, to eat Passover meal, and then be sacrificed as the Passover lamb. Okay, there's, I could go through, this could take a whole sermon explaining how it happens, and I get too confused, we'll leave it at that. There's, I can show you where you can do more reading on that. How's that? Is that all right? Okay. So, to adequately understand today's passage... And to get the full understanding of why Jesus' death occurred at this particular time of his earthly life, we need to jump backwards in time. And you know I love doing this, but this is essential. You can't take my word about Exodus 12. We're going to read it. And and when we did a survey of Genesis through Exodus, we actually ended on Exodus 12 because this is the theology of of what Jesus did. Okay, so if you open your Bibles, go backwards to Genesis 12. It's the first book of the Bible, chapter 12. 
We're going to, I mean, Exodus, it's the second book, thank you. (laughs) Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to read about half the chapter. I probably should find it too, come on. You all there? Okay, I'm marked here. All right, so here we go. I have to read through all my markings. Here we go. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. I'll stop there for a second. So, hmm? No, 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 no. Renee, Renee. So we're talking about Moses and Aaron. We're not with Jesus and disciples. So we've gone back to 1445 BC. We've gone backwards over 1400 years. Okay. It's after 430 years of slavery. They came into the land as welcome guests. Read the story of Joseph, Genesis, the mid-30s to the end of the the book of Genesis. They've come in as welcomed guests, as 70 total, and now they're in the millions, all right, 430 years later, and now they're slaves. They're feared slaves. That's why they were made slaves. The Egyptians, oh, they might outnumber us and, and overtake us, have a revolt, Okay, so the Jews cry out to God, and God provides a deliverer, Moses. Moses, the key figure, we have 40 years of him growing up in the Egyptian court. All right, he's getting the best best education you could get at that time. Then, because he tries to circumvent God's plan, he has to flee as a fugitive to Moab, or to Midian, I'm sorry, I wrote it down, to Midian, which is part, it's Arabian Peninsula. He's over there as a shepherd for 40 years learning to be a shepherd. Isn't that interesting? And then he has the encounter with God after 40 years at the burning bush, and God announces, I'm Yahweh, you've got to go back, and you're going to lead the Jews out of slavery. Okay? And that's where we get Yahweh, the word. He says, tell them that I am has sent you. Okay? So we have him going back, and then he has a confrontation because the the Jews weren't just going to be let free. They are the workforce for the Egyptians. Okay, so Moses has this confrontation with Pharaoh. There were 10 plagues, which actually ended up being 10 signs of God's power and authority over the most powerful gods of the most powerful empire. Each one of them had something to do with one of the gods of the, Jew, of the Egyptians. And God absolutely squishes and crunches them. And the last one is the most important because Pharaoh was worshipped as divine. And the last one was going after the firstborn, okay? So we're in Exodus chapter 12, and so here we go. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron's his brother, in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. He's changing their calendar. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, Nisan 10, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. They're to bring it in as a pet. Yeah. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each to what each can eat you, I think that's misspelling, uh, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month for four days in the house. 
Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, late afternoon, early evening. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Okay, lintel, top. They dab blood on the top and on the two sides. What is that? When the blood drops down, what does that kind of make, right? Symbolic of the cross and interesting. But the blood of the lamb, you shed it and then you put it on the lintel. Why? Well, he's going to tell us. They shall eat uh, the flesh uh, that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Now, I can go and explain the whole Seder meal, but we're not doing that because we don't have a year. I'm just kidding. But we're not going to explain all the elements. It's very interesting. I love the Seder. Uh, do not eat it, uh, any of it, raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its heads with its legs and inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. Why is it called the Passover? Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Wow. He's not messing around. The blood shall be a sign for you and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So what saves you? The blood. This day shall be for you a memorial, a remembrance day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. It's very clear this is the first religious holiday for the Jews. This is the oldest and the first and most and very important. Not most, but very. Where am I? 15, there we go. Thank you. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. That means killed. This is that serious. You know what leaven is? It's yeast, okay? It's you put a little bit in a, in a lump of dough and you start massaging it and it, it affects all of the lump. A little bit will affect all of it, okay? That's a picture of what? Symbolic for sin, Okay? You can eat normal bread, that's fine. But on this week, you are not allowed to because he wants to teach them something. Uh, da, 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 again, what verse might help me out here? Hmm? 16, there we go, thank you. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout, all, throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the, uh, of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses." 
If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner, meaning a foreigner, or a native of the land, a Jew. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. How clear is he being about this? He's really... Now, remember, this is God speaking to Moses and Aaron, being very clear about the importance. This is clear. The, The whole chapter is about this, all of chapter 12. 13 is the actual deliverance or the plague, and then 14 is them rejoicing because they get to go out. Oh, my goodness. There we go. Yeah, I'm going to jump to 23, actually. Just going to move forward here, but I'll read just a few more verses. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, so it's called the what land? The promised land. You shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel Uh, in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So it's a preaching feast. It is to teach. It's to remind. It's a memorial. It's a celebration of what God has done. It's a celebration that looked backwards to what's called the first exodus. Just keep that in mind because this theme of exodus The second exodus, Jesus, when he was on the Sermon of the Mount and he sat down to teach, you know what was reminding the people of and why they were flocking to him? Oh, Moses, during the exodus, he would be on a mountainside teaching his very last sermon, Deuteronomy, he was doing that. Mount Sinai, he was on a mountain getting God's law, Torah, and then teaching. The concept of exodus is so important, but at the very center of it is the Passover, Okay, and there's, I could read, I only read half of what's in chapter 12 because it's such an important feast. You now know what's going on. This is the history. When the disciples are sitting down to eat in our passage back in Matthew 26, this is what they are taught. This is what they think. This is, remember, we are Jews reading this, right? This is a Jewish book. This is the God of the Jews. Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews. But it's not just for the Jews, is it, anymore? Amen? So, back to Matthew. What did you say? End of all. There we go. So, now, here we go. This religious ceremony and sacrifice was the first one instituted for the Jews before Moses even got his law. This is about a month before they were around Mount Sinai when he started receiving the law. Okay, they were around Mount Sinai, camped for you know, a year. Okay, so that all, all, the law all came later, but this was the first. This is pregnant with meaning. The lamb to be sacrificed, its shed blood on the door lentils, sign of the cross. The unleavened bread, the deliverance from slavery and into freedom of the angel of God passing over as they hid under the blood. These are all rich concepts that Jesus is, is doing. When he comes, Jesus fulfills this feast for us. 
So now let's hop into what they are experiencing in chapter 26 of Matthew. So first of all, we see the Passover preparation, okay, in verses 17 through 19. We, we, we know it's a feast from the past, and that's, oh good, you have all that. It's the oldest feast, I talked about this already. And again, here's the deal. After the Passover happened, they were now fleeing as freedmen, but they were going to have to flee because they are going to chase them down, we know that. But they were leaving behind Egypt, the most powerful empire. And here's the deal. The Jews who left were not righteous they had become very much like the Egyptians. And we even have a mixed multitude joining them who were non-Jews who joined them. But they brought a lot of their Egyptian culture with them. Not to, I'm talking about the Jews, the Jewish slaves, because we'll see that in the very first thing they did is what did they build while Moses was up on the mountain? The golden calf, that was right out of Egyptian worship. They had been influenced and stained, Okay. But this, this exodus is God bringing them out away from the world's influence. And then he'll shape them into a, a nation and, and help them grow in sanctity, in, in purity. Okay, that, that picture though, isn't that, isn't that a great picture of what happens as Christians? We're saved from the world, from sin, from death. And, and, then, and then before we get our final glorification when we, when we die and we're with Jesus, what happens in the in-between time? God's is purifying us, isn't it? Isn't he? That's called sanctification. So this whole picture of what happens with the Jews, that's why it took time, gosh, a few years ago, to go through Genesis and Exodus. It's so important we know that because that's, that sets the stage for all the themes that we experience in the New Testament, okay? It's a feast from the past, but the highlight, again, of this whole Exodus is that, that final plague, the tenth plague, the sacrifice of the Lamb. Um, there's, there's more on this ceremony, but I'll just uh, emphasize that it's also, notice it's planned by Jesus. See, he had pre-planned to have a place for them to meet within the city limits. Why do you think, don't look at the notes, don't, don't, I told you and you looked up, didn't you? Why do you think he didn't tell the disciples ahead of time? There was a mole, there was Judas. He was looking for an opportunity, he was hunting for an opportunity to betray Jesus. But because he kept it secret, now he could have Passover with his men because he knew who that mole was. See, Judas had the guys fooled, but they didn't have Jesus fooled. Jesus has always been in charge of his mission from beginning to end. His brothers, hey, why don't you go up now during the Passover to make yourself known? His brothers had mocked him earlier. And he says, well, it's not time yet. But then he went up anyways because he wanted to go at the right time, his time. The, the, the demons would announce, hey, the Son of God, what are you doing? You're not supposed to come yet. He'd tell them silence. He didn't want to be announced by these demons. It wasn't time yet. Jesus has always been in charge. Don't miss that. He is in charge of this from beginning to end. It's a feast with a purpose. I've already talked about that. But here's the deal. Jesus, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is now fulfilling the purpose of this meal. He is the ransom. He is the propitiation. He's fulfilling the theology behind all this. Again, the lamb that was slain on the first Passover and all the Passover lambs over the 1,400 years since that exodus or longer, none of those counted for the real forgiveness of anybody because the blood of animals will never pay for our sin. 
It all pointed forward to the final, ultimate Lamb of God who would fulfill it, okay? And that's what Jesus is doing. Read the book of Hebrews. We preached that a few years ago as well. It's all about how Jesus is superior to everything, to Moses, to David, to the sacrifices, to the high priest. He fulfills it all, and he's the ultimate. He's the man. And we see that here. He is the one who pays the cost, the price for forgiveness, for redemption. He is the propitiation. We see that in Romans 3, 21 through 26, which we preached on two Easter's ago. All this is available if you want me to show you more. Then we see in verses 20 through 25, we have the Passover plot, okay? So this is, it was evening, he's reclining, he's eating, and he, he unveils to them, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all asking, well, is it I? And, and then he says, well, it's, it's one of you who's dipped in the same bowl as me. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? What is he trying to say? Well, it's somebody who is right there with them who is going to be the betrayer, and it was someone close. It was an intimate friend, which is fulfilling prophecy, that the Messiah would be betrayed by a close associate. That's what makes this even more heinous, that that it would come from his inner circle. The plot is revealed. He reveals that it's an evil plot, but he wasn't naive to it. But it was also part of his sure plan. Jesus is in control of the timing. He knew the betrayer. And though the disciples had no clue, he did. And then you see the disciples, you know, questioning. Because here's the deal. John 13 through 17 gives us more details of what happened that night. Jesus, that's when he washed their feet. He put a, That happened that night. We see it in John 13 through 17. And he actually, Luke tells us that they had been squabbling that night about who was going to be greatest. So he has to, here they are stuck in their arrogant pride, and then here he has to give them a lesson on humility and say, hey, if you want any part of me, this is how you have to be. So they've been rightly rebuked, and now Jesus is saying, one of you is going to betray me. So what are they all thinking? Oh, man, is it me? And each one of them says, is it I, Lord? Notice what they call him, though. Lord. What does Judas say later? Go ahead and cheat. Look ahead. What does he call him later? Rabbi. Isn't that interesting? But here's the deal. They're they're fearful. They're sad. They're wondering, is it I? I don't want it to be me. Now, one of them was going to, you know, deny him three times. They were all going to run, but one was going to be the betrayer. Okay? Again, you can read more in John 13 through 17, also in uh, Luke that gives a few more details. But, but Matthew is focused on what's happening here. Okay, just he's really boiled it down. And the plotter is unmasked. I've already said that. He's the, an intimate friend by eating with him and close to say. And by the way, they were reclining at the table. In Exodus, they were supposed to be ready to take off, right? You're dressed and ready to go because right after the angel of death passes through, the, Jew, the Jews left right away. They were ready to travel, Okay. It, here now, because, you know, it's already been accomplished, they are in Jerusalem, they're reclining. They would be, you know, I talked about this last week, they'd be, you know, head at the table, up on an arm, and they're all close to each other. So it's, it's close association. You know, John, John, the disciple John was asked by, hey, Peter, Peter said, hey, John, I, who, ask him who it is. And, and John just turned and asked Jesus, and, and many people say, you know who was right next to him? Judas. Judas seems like the way that they would have these tables, or it seems like Judas was actually in the position of the guest of honor. Wow. 
Why do you think Jesus would do that? I think it's because he wanted to give them another chance to repent. Think about that. That's, that's just something interesting. But he does say, as it is written, right? The Son of Man was going to be betrayed because he has to go to the cross as it is written. And he's referring probably to Isaiah 53. Again, we looked at that this Easter, right? And Daniel 9, 26, that, hey, the prince, the prince would come and he'd be cut off, right? He would come to Jerusalem, but he'd be cut off. That's fulfilling Daniel 9, 26, where he's going to die. But he doesn't just say, well, it's okay that this guy betrays me because it's part of the plan. What does he say about the betrayer? But woe to him. What does woe mean? It's the prophetic oracle of condemnation, severe judgment of God. It'd be better if he had not even been. Okay, so one side we see it that it's been prophesied, but the other side is he's held accountable for his actions. How do you put those two together? Good luck. But God says both things. How are you saved when you repent and confess? How do you have the ability to save? God has to give you faith. How do you put those two together? We'll let God take care of that. He's better at it than we are, right? So he's eternal, we're not. But this is an instant. He's going to be held accountable. Severe judgment on him. The worst of sinners is what he's doing. Think about it. Who had closer association than Judas? Peter, James, and John, barely, but he, Judas, what was his role in the, with the disciples? He was the money keeper. He was the, that means he was the most trusted. And when he took off, even though Jesus had pointed him out to John, what did most, when he actually left, we'll see this later, when he actually left, what does it say? The, the rest of the disciples thought he was just going to go buy some more food. That's all. They didn't know it was him, but Jesus did. Matter of fact, John 13, 2 says this, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Wow. So given over. For three years, it says that he'd been taking money from the, the bag. <laughs> he'd been skimming off the top. He was motivated by greed, by power. Sad. And then he says, oh, is it I, Rabbi? What did Jesus say? You've condemned yourself. You know it. He said it. That's right. Judas sentences himself. So now we get into verses 26 through 29, and we've read this many times. It's the Passover purpose, okay? Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, the bread, the matzah, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and take, eat, this is my body. Imagine sitting there, hearing him say, this matzah, this unleavened bread is my body. You're a Jewish man. What are you thinking? Who is this guy? Uh, now, they, were, they had more understanding than that, but at the same time, too, what Jesus was saying was shocking. This is my body. And he took a cup. Now, he wasn't saying be a cannibal, but again, that's something... And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. Okay, we're going to drink this. By the way, they, they, this is the third cup. It's called the cup of blessing or the cup of redemption in the order of the Seder meal. We get that from the other parts here in the other Gospels. They identify it. But here's the deal. Drink of it, all of you, for what? This is my blood. Well, you weren't allowed to drink blood as a faithful Jew. 
but he's saying something symbolic about the cup of redemption. He's the Redeemer. His blood, the blood of the Lamb, was a special thing going on here now. Drink of it, for this is my blood of the covenant. Well, what covenant is he talking about? He's talking about the covenant promised in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, the new covenant. He's inaugurating, he's, he's ending the Mosaic covenant and inaugurating the new covenant that was promised. A new covenant was coming, the Jews were told. A new one brought in by the Messiah. And we'll look at the verse in a minute. It says, for this is my blood of the covenant. Why, why is it? What is it all about? Which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Wow, did he just transform this meal. And I tell you, I will not drink it again or drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And he talked about the kingdom in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. So first of all, he's transformed the lamb. No longer was it the lamb that was slain that looks back to the first exodus. It is now he is the lamb. And he's saying, I'm the one. And this is and essentially saying this is the new exodus or the second exodus. The one instead of out of Egypt, it's out of sin and slavery and you're being delivered. And by the way, when he comes back, he's completing exodus, the second exodus. When the Jews thought of the first exodus, they thought of it as being delivered from Egypt. But you know when they thought it was completed? Not when they walked across the Red Sea. It's when they walked through the Jordan into the promised land. It was a whole 40-year process in their minds. That's the exodus. Delivered from and delivered into. Jesus delivered us from sin, and when he comes back, he's going to deliver us into his kingdom. Now, when you die, you get to go there right away, and then he'll bring his kingdom when we come with him. We talked about all that. But don't forget, it's, it's, he's transformed the lamb. He's transforming the Passover meal. He's transforming the bread. What does Jesus call himself? The bread of life. In the first Exodus, what kind of bread they had? They had unleavened bread, but they also had another bread given to them during their wilderness wanderings. Manna, the bread from heaven. Jesus fulfills that. He's the unleavened. His body, God came as a man and he didn't sin. He was unleavened. He completed righteousness so that when we become Christians, we get His righteousness. He earned righteousness for us. Isn't that cool? He's also, He transforms the wine. The wine was, hey, God, thank you for what you did back then. But now He's saying, hey, this, this third cup of redemption, the cup of blessing, this is my blood. Blood does what? His blood pays for the sins. His blood covers over them so when the angel of death passes over, they hide under his blood now. There's more to, you know, there's the whole thing with the Ark of the Covenant and the blood on the mercy seat. So cool. But here's the deal. The blood also inaugurates the new covenant. That's what he's saying. And why why is this blood important? It's for the, the key thing that we need, forgiveness of sins. He pays the price. It's it's so rich. You see all this coming together? All these dots in the Old Testament coming together in Jesus Christ. He's transformed the lamb, the blood, the wine, and he transforms the covenants, the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 and 34 say this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is written 600 years before Jesus. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That's the cool part of what was to come. 
It's not the sacrifices in the temple. It's through God's ultimate sacrifice in providing forgiveness. And he's also transformed the future. The Passover meal made you look backwards. Our new Passover makes us look backwards, but to Jesus' cross. It does make us think about what God did for the Jews, too. That's not null and void, okay? But it also transforms the future because we have a future feast to look forward to. This is a memorial to look back, but he says, do it as often as you, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me until I come again. He's coming again. So we have a future to look forward to, that kingdom. That's what we celebrate when we do communion. We do a very small version of it, but don't lose the meaning. He's transformed everything, folks. We have every sort of hope now, every sort of hope. So we are going to enter into the so what of this passage is we are going to do communion now and to take over uh, the right doctor, elder, reverend, (laughs) Scott Vorman. Take it over, brother. What a treat that we get to celebrate communion after seeing this passage and hearing this passage. And um, sometimes we talk a little bit about communion. Chris has actually been talking about that. So I'm going to talk a little bit about us. Uh, he talked both, you know, what, what does this mean? We, we actually look back. We, we look at ourselves now. They looked all the way back to the Passover. We look back to the Last Supper, and then we look forward to our future. Um, Yesterday, I had the opportunity to hear Chris's testimony. And Chris's testimony, um, the part that stuck with me is the transforming power of Scripture. And so, and what it had to do is he says his grandmother was the one who became a Christian by reading the Bible and he said that she read the Bible after reading through the Bible in a year. She read through the Bible every year for the rest of her life. So every year she read through the Bible. And um, I, we've started to do this probably about two months ago. I was late this year, but I've been reading through this Bible, which makes it a little easier, the daily Bible. And it's set up chronologically, so it makes sense. So what I was looking at yesterday was Proverbs. They have us in Proverbs reading right now. And it speaks to a couple of things about us in preparation for the uh, communion. So the first part is, do you have to be right in order to take communion? Do you have to be perfect? No, this is for sinners. So, and, and here's out of Proverbs 20, verse 9. It's a rhetorical question. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure I am clean and without sin. It echoes what Paul says, there's no one righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the uh, glory of God. He goes on to promise and are justified in Christ Jesus through the blood of Christ Jesus. So that's out of Proverbs. Proverbs was written about 960 B.C. Um, And then the other part about how we come to the table. You know, we don't come righteous, but we also don't come as a sham, as a faker, okay? And that's also talked about in Proverbs, about false worship. Um, one of the people in the New Testament asked Jesus, what, what, what is, 
what's important? Do you come, uh, do you come with a right heart? And he says, no, you, you have to come with a right heart. He wants a right heart, not sacrifice. And that's said in Proverbs. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. Uh, to do what is right and just, this is Proverbs 21, is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So you have to examine your heart. And if you're not a Christian, the best thing I'm going to recommend is talk to one of us who, who is a Christian. Talk to Chris afterwards. But then start reading your Bible. It's life-changing. And this is an easy way to do it if it seems like difficult to you. Just get, um, get, start reading through the Bible. So as we share together here, we're going to um, split up. We're going to sing, uh, take communion, and uh, return to your seats. And then Chris will dismiss us when we're finished. As you take it, you remember that Christ shed his body for you, his blood for you, the perfect unleavened, unsinning, uh, in, in plan before the foundations of the world for you. And uh, we give thanks to that. So we can start.